is this person's last name Paper Nota? Friday, March 16th, 2018, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Brexit Romp Tourist, and with me today are Paul Peters, Master's Student and Belgian Road Survivor, and my fellow Dutch News Contributing Editor and Brothel Arsonist, Gordon Derrick. So this week you've been to London, um, and uh, what's the status report? Uh, I, I waved to the, uh, to the Unilever boat as it left, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sailed to the port of Rotterdam. <laughs> and the medicine agency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, London seems to be chucking along and doing fine. There's a lot of people who don't seem to be super happy about the uh, mm. impending Brexit situation, but I, I guess that's not to be surprised. Other than that, uh, yeah, London was lovely. And, and, and what is a Ramtourist? A, a person who goes to disaster areas and like stares at the poor people who have been hit by the disaster is there an English word for this Uh, disaster tourist oh that's an actual word yes but I'm not the only disaster tourist in here because you went to Belgium this week (laughs) yeah that's true yeah I had to drive some uh, Greek people who uh, stranded with their car somewhere in the Netherlands they lived in Belgium so I had to drive them to Brussels to their home because they couldn't uh, proceed and they survived you survived yeah I had to go through Belgium because I took the train back from London and it's Belgium it's it's so dirty why does it look so dirty (laughs) yeah well I I have a theory I think whenever I'm in Belgium it's usually on the on the highway or in the train and I think just Every building on the side of the highway or the train is dirty, and the rest is probably nice. I don't oh, know. Okay. I think that's my that's theory. my theory. Okay. And we are not the only Ramtouriste here, because Gordon <laughs> also went to visit the disaster. <laughs> that's true. Well, I didn't visit. I was passing by. No, you caused. Bike. This is the room yeah. I heard. <laughs> no, hang on. This room you heard from where? Uh, no, no. The, the SKP <laughs> lighter claims. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you uh, there's a you burned down a brothel on your street, right? <laughs> and, is that uh, what happened this week? Well, well that escalated quickly. <laughs> uh, there's this building on a street just on the in the local kind of shopping um, precinct or neighborhood where, where I there's live. a brothel in your local it's, shopping. This is well, the Netherlands, Paul. The, the, exactly, How are you surprised yeah. by this? It's a, I don't know for sure it's a brothel, but I'd be astonished if it was anything else. Given that it's sort of three buildings in a row with no, no signs, just frosted windows, you never see anybody go in or out or whatever. And what is it called? Except that, and um, it's called, and you only know this if you walk right past it and you sort of just look in the little right. entrance you only know this saying, if you've been in there and you see what your credit card <laughs> statement says afterwards yeah, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of things it could potentially be but I was talking about the other day and there were people standing outside it's the first time I've ever seen anyone there and they were just they weren't going anywhere they were standing around outside on the pavement checking their phones having a smoke and I thought that's strange I've never seen people outside that building at all and then I thought I, I, really, I know what's happened here they, they, they've had a fire alarm and, I, and then I thought my next thought was that must be a really inconvenient thing to happen in a brothel (laughs) (laughs) and we all know why you knew there was a fire yeah exactly (laughs) this week we'll talk about upcoming local elections the latest effects of brexit and how one kid managed to get himself a playstation in our discussion in honor of book week we're going to talk about our favorite books about the netherlands one week to go to the local elections and Rotterdam's roller coaster campaign took another twist this week. After Geert Wilders was forced to sack his lead candidate after one day because of his links to far-right groups, this time it was the turn of the parties on the left to trip over their own feet. An election pact between the Socialist Party, Labour, Groen Links and the Islamic group Nida collapsed following the emergence of an old tweet by one of Nida's members that compared Israel to Islamic State. Labour leader in the city, Barbara Katman, demanded an explanation and the parties called an emergency meeting at which they urged Nida to retract the tweet. 
But NIDA spokesman Nordin Elowali was having none of it. He argued that the context of the tweet, which was written during Israel's incursion into Gaza in 2014, justified it as an expression of free speech. Kroenink's leader, Judith Bokova, said, quote, There is no place for NIDA in our alliance. The socialists, for their part, have pledged to honour the agreement. So uh, what's the state of the parties uh, in Rotterdam right now? The, uh, the coalition is headed by Leifbau Rotterdam, uh, which is the party founded by Pim Fortown, so the kind of populist right. Um, they have 13 seats, but the challenge of the PVV coming in is likely to cut them to around nine. Uh, Leifbau have also done an electoral deal with Thierry Bourdais, Forum for Democratie. Uh, so Thierry Bourdais is not um, involved in the election contest, but he's supporting Leifbau. Uh, but that has complicated the relationship between Leifbau and D66, who are in the coalition with them. D66 say they won't work with Leifbau unless they distance themselves from Bourdais' comments about race. And the other coalition party is the CDR. Um, at the moment in the polls, second place looks like going to either Groen Links or the SP, but that the poll was done before this whole row with Nida blew up, so that could change the picture all over again. And that leaves potentially the door open to the CDR or the Fei Fei Day. And Fei Fei Day, incidentally, their main contributions to campaign has been a semi-naked man on a horse. <laughs> you are going to have to explain that last <laughs> thing, Gordon. Fei Fei Day have done an election video with uh, Vincent Karamans, who is their um, leading candidate in Rotterdam. Oh, this is the really attractive guy, right? This is this is the guy who looks like it's just uh, one of those Dutch businessmen who wander around the Zaudas a lot. You know, he's just in this open neck shirt and a non-matching jacket and tra- trousers. Of course. And uh, at the end of his, uh, his election video, it's about two minutes long, you suddenly see him stripped to the waist on the back of a horse. So he's like taking playbook from from Putin's like campaign? <laughs> Something yeah. like that. I don't know. He doesn't explain it. He just says, my name is Vincent Karamans and I'm on a horse. And I endorse <laughs> his message. Yeah, well, and at the beginning of the campaign video, he steps off a piano. <laughs> yeah, which could be a subliminal reference to uh, Baudet. Yeah. Um, could be. Pianos, be. I don't know. Who knows? And it was a real campaign sign war going on in Rotterdam right now. The, yeah. the municipality decided <laughs> to put all the campaign signs of all the parties at specific locations so the the municipality were providing all these uh, all these posters but the other parties weren't happy with the locations or how many posters there were so all the parties are now filling the streets with their campaign posters yeah. mm-hmm. and it's a real disaster if yeah. you if you drive through rather than you see posters everywhere and um, but the parties will have to remove them uh, themselves mm-hmm. and if they don't they will have to they pay get fined. Uh, they get fined 150 yeah. euros per post so would you describe uh, Rotterdam as a, a disaster zone then Paul because Guess where I'm going this weekend? And you'll continue to ramp tourism. I'm going to continue show. my ramp tourism roadshow. <laughs> so, Gordon, uh, we got a bunch of listener mail in this week. Not all of it hate mail for once, um, and <laughs> a lot nice? of questions about how to vote in local elections. So, I think maybe we could just take a minute to just sort of explain to our listeners the process and procedures for voting in local elections. So, you should have had by now um, a thing for your letterbox called a stem bus, which is your polling card. We call it in, in English. You need to take that with you to the um, uh, to the polling place, uh, along with some form of ID. Uh, yeah, which... I mean, officially you can use, like, if, if you're a Dutch citizen, you can use your mm. national ID card or your driver's license, that's yeah. fine. Officially, the rules say that EU citizens can also use national ID cards, but we have heard, like, some people getting a little flack about this at the polling place. So our advice has been to just take your passport with you yeah. if you're a non-Dutch uh, citizen. It's the simplest thing. This applies to European Union nationals, but also anyone, if, if you're from another country, but you lived here long enough to qualify 
Yeah. Yeah. The official rules on that yeah. are if you are from the EU and you have you registered in your municipality, I think it's like three days before. I think it's the day before. One, the One day, day before. before yeah. yeah. Um, then you're eligible to vote in local elections. And if you're from outside of the EU, then you have to have lived here for five years. Five yeah. years. So you go to the polling booth, uh, which will be you'll either just have a sign outside in the street, or that the, your local newspaper will carry a list. Um, usually your local sort of weekly free sheet will yeah. have a list of every everywhere you can oh, vote. Welcome to website. Welcome to website. Indeed. Yeah. You can vote anywhere in your municipality. Yeah. So you can't vote in another municipality. Yeah. You can vote anywhere in the place where you live. So, for example, you can vote at the train station. Yeah. yeah. Going, uh, Indeed, if you're commuting. Your yeah. STEM pass will say a polling place address. You, you don't have to go there. You can go there. It's just the one that's closest to your house. Yeah. So they're just giving you the information of the one that's like physically closest to your exactly. house. But there's always, I mean, Delft has like 300 and there's only 100,000 people that live in the city. So it's like an insane amount of polling places. Yeah. And then you go to the, the, the you hand over the STEM pass, you show them the ID, um, and then they will give you your um, your voting paper, which is this enormous sort of small bed sheet uh, with all the list of all the candidates on it. And then you have to go into the polling booth. You have a red pencil. You can take your own red pencil, but it must be red. It must be a pencil. <laughs> and it must be a pencil. And you just uh, do a little circle in um, uh, for the um, uh, the candidate of your choice. Usually people will vote for the top candidate of, um, of one of the parties, but you can vote for any candidate on the list yeah. if you like. And there is a very complicated system for yeah. promoting candidates up the list. We We're won't not going to get into, get into we won't get that. Into that. Yeah. Yeah. You can only vote for one candidate. Like that's, yes. that's it. So even once. though there's like 150 million options, you, can you only can't vote for write one. on the. Uh, yeah. On the ballot Don't paper. write on the ballot yeah. no. paper. Um, but you should have also gotten at some point uh, a fake, a mock ballot um, that shows you sort mm. of where you are. So so that you should have also gotten through your yeah. letterbox. Um, and then you can kind of look through so and see. So you can practice at home. You can practice <laughs> yes. at home to see exactly where that yeah. is. You don't have to take that to the polling place with you. You don't You don't need that to vote. They will give you an official ballot there. Yeah. So you can vote everywhere in your municipality. Bring your identification card. And, and your stem pass. And your stem pass. Uh, and that's it. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. And if you're unable to vote on the day of, there's a that you can send someone by proxy to vote. The best thing to do is like check your local Chementa website for for how to do the specifics of this. And if you've lost your stem pass or you forget to take it with you, what happens then? You can just. Uh call the municipality and they will send a new one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We will uh, link in the liner notes to uh, the Dutch news election coverage because we've done a whole bunch of like election news on the different cities and like voting and, and there's been some uh, op-eds by politicians in English and that kind of stuff. And when uh, when is the election, guys? It is next uh, it Wednesday. Is next Wednesday, the 21st. <laughs> Don't listen to Gordon. It's on Wednesday. It's on Wednesday. It's on Wednesday. Yeah. And Paul, do we have a date on Wednesday to go vote together? <clears throat> yeah, we will vote together. Yeah. It's very exciting. Next time you you, 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 uh, you put my ballot in the box, yeah. right? Remember? Yeah. That was yes. very romantic. It was very romantic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we should note that um, there will be a separate ballot for the referendum. Oh. If you mm. don't, if you're not following, if you don't know what the referendum is, go back and listen to last week's podcast because we talked very thoroughly about the referendum. But if you are not a Dutch citizen, you will you can't vote in the referendum. Ian Hayes' supervisory board has withdrawn the proposed 50% pay raise for Chief Executive Ralph Hammers, saying it had, quote, underestimated the public response in the Netherlands on this clearly sensitive matter. The bank announced last week that it was going to raise the pay to 3 million euros, claiming he earns too little. The announcement was met with a major outcry. Groen Links leader Jesse Klaver called for fast-tracking a law called SpoodVet, which would allow the finance minister to reject pay increases for executives at major corporations. Klaver wasn't the only one who was upset. The later party, Pave the Animal Rights Party, the Partij van de Dira, and the PVV supported the move. And Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra was, quote, not amused. 
Have uh, the rest of the staff at the bank uh, have gotten a raise? Uh, yes, they got a 1.7% pay hike in their last uh, pay package uh, voted on by the board, which was uh, dramatically less than the 50% that the board was offering uh, Hammers. Yes. But uh, what, what do we think about this? Does, yeah. uh, does the finance minister should have the right to like feed a right on, on the raise of anyone at the staff of, uh, of a bank or a major corporation? I think Mark Rutter's point here was that uh, this some of the, the, the bigger banks like ING are different from other companies because they do have the support of the state in the sense that if anything goes wrong they get bailed out so yeah. you argue that therefore they should but also isn't that a choice of the state there's but not a law that no because no but, no, but it, it's too more big a, to fail it's like, too big to fail it's more a structural uh, systemic thing so I kind of think Ruta's R- R- got a point in a way that, that there should be different rules to protect the state from that kind of excessive behaviour by the banks if the government is going to bail out the banks when it gets into trouble why should it not also have some kind of say in how the bank runs its business uh, at other times Okay, the ING Bank did get uh, support from the from the government. It was not a loan, to be fair. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a loan, loan but yeah. it was they support. They paid everything back, yeah. and, yes. uh, and the, the, the government even got some interest yeah. in it. So they profited from it. So, yeah. But yeah. If, yeah. if the state hadn't intervened at that point, the, the, the bank would have collapsed. Right. There wouldn't have been any Yeah, their lender of last resort Ralph Hammers wouldn't, wouldn't have had a job. And also, like, a lot of us would have been out a lot of money and, like, yeah. these sorts of things. So Especially you. Yeah. And uh, also the point, we don't know when the next crisis is around the corner. So, yeah. so you know, if, if they put this 50% pay rise on and then the world economy takes a big downturn, then yeah. suddenly there's this massive liability, which comes back to the state because yeah. it has to bail the bank out again. Yeah, I think I'm, my feelings are more sort of sympathetic to the ratio of CEO pay to basic worker pay. And I don't know, per se, that I feel like the finance minister should be able to step in and dictate what CEOs make, but I... I wouldn't be upset by, say, companies that, like, you know, Gordon said, that are, like, sort of very important to to society and are likely to get bailed out to have some sort of enforcement mechanism that says, like, if you're going to raise CEO pay this much, you also have to raise, like, the basic worker pay, like, making sure that those two things stay sort of in tandem. That is kind of interesting how much, I wonder how much this is um, people power that, uh, you know, because by all accounts, um, the bank really um, changed its mind when it noticed that customers were starting to yeah. uh, either shut their accounts or start applying for accounts at different banks yeah. and how much kind of a tactical withdrawal because I think m- maybe the bank was worried about a long drawn out political row if um, because now that they've done this of course yeah. uh, th- th- this plan by Jesse Claver to have this uh, emergency law has now fallen you know it's yeah. fallen by the wayside right. that won't happen yeah. Um, yeah I think I feel a little more sympathetic towards intervening in this way with companies that it's not so easy to extract yourself from if I don't like my local Albert Hein I will go shop at my local Yumbo but like it's a little more difficult to do that when like my insurance is tied up with ENK, my business bank account is tied up there. Like you're gonna have to move all of this stuff and like replace all of your pin passes and like fix you know, it's like a bit more of a time consuming process than it is to just like shop at a different grocery store, I think. And that makes it more difficult for the consumers to kind of walk away, which I think means there should be maybe some more uh, ability for the government to kind of protect the rights of the consumers in these situations. Anglo-Dutch healthcare and food giant Unilever announced on Thursday it will permanently locate its new single headquarters in Rotterdam. Until now, the producer of a large number of brands such as Axe, Knorr and Dove has maintained two headquarters in Rotterdam and London since it was founded in 1930. The company, which employs 170,000 people and had a revenue of 52 billion euro in 2016, said in a statement its decision is because of long-term strategic structuring and not because of Brexit. The 7300 employees of Unilever in Britain will be maintained and the move will only bring 30 new jobs to the Netherlands. 
And what were the reactions here in the Netherlands? Well, unsurprisingly, the cabinet is uh, very happy with the move. Mark Rutte said he thinks the move will indirectly generate extra jobs because, you know, there are suppliers, so it will generate some extra jobs. Finance Minister Erik Wiebes was also happy. He said the move is a sign that the Netherlands has a very good business climate. However, the opposition parties are less enthusiastic. Jesse Klaver, there he is again, of whom links, suspects the uh, multi-billion company has struck a deal with the cabinet. And also SP MP Renske Leite is critical. According to her, Unilever will probably move to the Netherlands because of the lowering or, or the abolishing of the dividend tax, which isn't worth the uh, 1.4 billion uh, euros since the move uh, doesn't generate any yeah, extra jobs. It's a small number, isn't it? About, about 100 jobs, I think. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Unilever has been very quick to kind of take the politics out of this and say it's not because of Brexit, it's not because of dividend tax. Um, do we believe them? Yeah, well, no. no. And, then also, and also the UK government issued a statement in which they say this has absolutely nothing to do with Brexit. Which means it 100% has something absolutely to, totally do to do with Brexit. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think exactly. what we noticed is after the Brexit, yeah, Unilever, I think, had um, toyed with this idea for a long time, but it got a lot more urgent after the Brexit vote, I think. They then said we definitely want to have our headquarters in one location um, and since then I think there's been a bit of they've, they've kind of been playing the two governments off against each other and said uh, you know what, what are you going to offer us yeah. and the, the, the Dutch government came and then suddenly of course this plan to abolish a dividend tax wasn't in, in mentioned in the election any, campaign wasn't yeah. in any party's manifesto suddenly during the coalition negotiations some chaps from Unilever and Shell um, had a word in uh, the coalition party's ears and lo and behold uh, they came out with a plan to abolish a dividend tax Members of Parliament apparently finally read what's in the Imburgering Examma this week and discovered that it is, in their words, patronising and old-fashioned. VVD MP Bente Becker and Desa Sestig's young Paternota called for Social Affairs Minister Wouta Kulmes to update the exam and ensure it contains useful information during a debate on Wednesday. Kulmes said in a debate last month that he wants to overhaul the programme after a shortage of examiners led the ministry to scrap a portion of the exam on employment. So, Molly, is it fair to say this has kind of uh, got your um, uh, got your dander up? I mean, as anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I have taken the Embarkering Examma, and they are completely useless and terrible. Um, I literally learned nothing useful. In fact, I'm working on an article currently about things that are important that are not on the exams, um, like that you have to register your water meter and electrical meter reading every year, which I did not know. Um, and was, well, was now, now they've got smart meters, so often they, they take it automatically. Yeah, you don't yeah. do that anymore. Um, yeah. That you have to tip your uh, newspaper delivery guy at Christmas. The delivery yes, you've heard the story. You, yeah. went and, you went and hid in the back of the house. I, did, you, you I didn't <laughs> hid. I mean, there was no hiding. It was just I got <laughs> chastised by my Dutch boyfriend for not doing this. I just wish that, like, these politicians have been pe- listening to the people who have been, like, loudly and <laughs> yeah. repeatedly... Listening to this podcast. This podcast, or, like, a million other people, it's not just me, who have been saying, like, this is a terrible system. At best, it's awful and mm. not useful. At worst, it's, like, demoralizing and ostracizing. Yeah. I think the one that people need to know is if you've got children and it's uh, Sinterklaas and you have to take a, uh, you have to give your child uh, a present taking another child into school, it's not enough to just actually give them the present. You've actually got to wrap it up into an enormous kind of shoebox and right. decorate it as a cartoon But character. all of this stuff... Like there's none of this information is on there. It's all like these insane questions about like, do you send your neighbor a card when they have a baby? And like all this stuff that's like, there's no right answer. It's all idiotic. It's stupid and idiotic and they should fix it. It's not that hard to fix it. Perhaps you should write a book. You should write yeah. uh, your own your gu- yeah, gu- guide, guide to in, uh, proper Inverchen. Yeah. Yeah, I should, but w- as we're going to talk about in our discussion segment, there's like a lot of excellent books out there. Actually, what they should just do is just make like our recommended reading list, recommended reading for people, and then call that the Inverchen Examen and like call it a damn day. Mm-hmm. 
In sport, the Winter Paralympics are underway in Pyeongchang and have witnessed another chapter in the remarkable career of snowboarder Bibian Mantel. The 45-year-old retained her title in the snowboard cross event, which is basically BMX on a snowboard, just two months after undergoing cancer treatment for the ninth time. And on Thursday, she won a second gold medal in the banked slalom. The silver medal in the snowboard cross went to her teammate, Lisa Bunskoten. Mantel was first diagnosed with cancer 18 years ago as she was on the brink of qualifying for the mainstream Olympics in Salt Lake City. After having her lower leg amputated, she came back with a prosthetic limb, she became Dutch snowboarding champion twice, and then fought to have the event included in the Paralympics. But in the meantime, the cancer kept coming back. She's had a total of nine courses of treatment, five operations on her lungs, a titanium implant in her, sp- in her neck, and 74 shots of radiotherapy. Two years ago, doctors told her she'd run out of options, but she was determined to live to see her 13-year-old son reach adulthood, and so she went to another hospital, started another course of treatment, survived a hospital infection, and she's still out there, still alive, and still competing. Wow, this is a very impressive story. It's an amazing story. This podcast's favourite museum exhibition, The Animals with a Backstory in the Natural History Museum in Rotterdam, is, just like last week, getting a new piece. While last week the museum could only add the legs of a bird to their collection, they can now put a full and perfectly conserved bird on their display. During the bitter cold week last month, a group of children found a kingfisher frozen in the ice while skating in the North Holland town of Oost-Zaan. They took photos of the poor bird and these went viral and were put on websites and shown on the news all over the world. The 13-year-old boy who extracted the block of ice with the bird from the frozen lake will get a brand new PlayStation 4 for his efforts from the museum. How the museum is planning to display the block of ice is still unclear. I will ask on Monday, though, because I'm going to interview the uh, exhibition oh, really? uh, curator yeah. 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 And, for, uh, for an article. Yeah. And uh, are they going to give the boy his PlayStation in a block of ice? No, but they, I'm definitely going to suggest that they <laughs> yeah, do that on Monday. I think so. Molly, do you know the Dutch name of Kingfisher? I believe it is... Ice Vogel. Yes, mm. which make this story even funnier yeah. in yes, Dutch. And a gift for headline writers. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes because it, sta- it means ice bird in, mm. in Dutch. Yeah. And um, uh, just to remind our listeners, what, what, what animals can they expect in, the, uh, in this exhibition? Uh, well, as we talked about last week, the legs of a dead heron that, was, uh, that the police confiscated from a homeless man in Amsterdam who's, mm-hmm. who had roasted the rest of the heron and eaten it. Uh, the Toyota Calmer mouse, uh, the uh, world's first uh, necrophilic homosexual duck. Yeah. Uh, and, and the dominoes. Uh, the domino moose. Yeah. Yeah. My so. favorite animal. We'll be discussing books about the Netherlands in honor of National Book Week after this word from our sponsors. Do you drive or ride a bike? Are you in the train or on the train? If you're producing text in English but aren't sure of just the right wording, M Squared can help you. M Squared is a digital publications company that can help you with all of your writing, editing and translation needs. They have a combined 20 years experience crafting the perfect document from editing books to writing website copy. If you need help with your website text, brochure, thesis, press release and more, contact them at info at msqrd.com. If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. It's National Book Week here in the Netherlands. In true Dutch fashion, the book this week is by Belgian author Griet op de Beek. Gezien de Vete follows Olivia, a woman for whom everything changes. 
Bookstores will just give you a copy when you spend at least twelve fifty on another book. In honor of Book Week, we wanted to discuss our favorite and least favorite books about the Netherlands. Um, yes. But there's a few other little uh, Book Week notes that you wanted to make, Gordon, because there's a train situation on Sunday that you wanted yeah, to discuss. If you get given the um, uh, the free book uh, from Book Week, uh, then it also doubles as um, a train ticket on Sunday. The last day of Book Week is traditionally um, uh, what would they call free travel day, so you can travel anywhere by train in the country for free if you turn up with the book, and the book will actually scan uh, through the gates that's uh, pretty cool through. yeah yeah. So you actually use it as a, as, as a ticket, literally. And it's kind of, a, and, and, but it leads to this very strange phenomenon whereby you get on a train on Sunday, and if you don't know about this, you'll wonder why everyone is reading the same book. Yeah. <laughs> you'll think, have, have I arrived in North Korea? Is there only one book for sale yes. in the whole country? <laughs> only one book. It's books. really strange. And it's by a yeah. Belgian author. And it's by a Belgian, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you won't know that, obviously. No, so all you'll see is just everyone reading a book with, what do you say was on the cover again? It's like people on a, standing on a, in a circle on a beach, like throwing a beach ball or something, or like doing like aerobics or something like this. It's an odd sort of cover. Yeah, and then do you say they were naked? Uh, they're not naked, but they're <laughs> okay. all like in swimsuits, uh, basically. Uh, so. you, you, you sp- Paul, do you have a favorite book about the Netherlands? No, I don't. <laughs> Why not? I, I've never read a book about the Netherlands. No, you read Ben Coates's book. I read it partly. Yeah, yeah that's true. I didn't complete it. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really fun to uh, to give to have this uh, foreign perspective mm. on uh, on how things work in the Netherlands, yeah. and I, I I pretty enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right, so Gordon, what are your uh, what are your picks? What did you what have you read? What have you enjoyed? Uh, I've read Ben's book as well, and I thought it was very good, very kind of insightful. Uh, yeah. I like the way he did it. He sort of went to a different region for every chapter, and he mm. looked at the and he sort of unpicked the, the 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 local culture. So it went a bit deeper than just yeah. you know um, uh, what um, guys in Netherlands often talk about, which is like you know sex and drugs and yeah. uh, everyone being bicycle everyone Stump being bicycling park. hippies, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is uh, quite a misleading stereotype. But you know, Ben's book was very good. There's also I've got the Xenophobes. Guide to the Dutch, which I brought with me, which I think is a very good, concise guide. It's an introduction, you know, it doesn't go really deep um, into the culture. But the Xenophobes Guides, this is like a series of books about different places and sort of what what does this book like kind of cover? It's just kind of really an an, an overview of, um, you know, day-to-day life. uh, There's a chapter called Obsessions. Yes, and what are the things listed on it? It starts with coffee, Mm. water, bicycles, Mm. Neatness. Yep. yep. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. That's that seems to sum up. That Dutch is ninety percent of Dutch well. culture, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. I um I have also read the Xenophobes Guide to the Dutch. Um I do I do find it useful. I think that for like a good introduction into like Dutch culture in a way that you can kind of understand or maybe make your like working life or like social life a little bit easier. I like this book called Dealing with the Dutch that's by Jakob. Uh, it begins with a V. We 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 will, as a note, just like link to everything. <laughs> I'm glad you did your research for this. Um, I have the book. It's like sitting on my bookshelf, actually. Um, so it's a it's a pretty good introduction of like Dutch culture and like how the Dutch are, why the Dutch sort of are the way they are, like kind of historically and like sort of how to how to deal with them, which I think is a, a nice. Uh, so a nice you you read a couple of these. Books? I've read I think probably twenty at this point. And, and and when did you start reading them? When you first moved here, or did it take uh, quite some time, or did you read it before? I don't think I read, I think I had read kind of a primer on the Dutch language. Like I have one of these like little like tiny books about like basic Dutch phrases. And I had read that before I got here. Um, I only had three weeks notice before I moved to the Netherlands. So I didn't have like a ton of time to prepare. Um, We sort of had no idea we were going to be moving here. And then next month we were living here. Um, And then when I got here, I read kind of a handful of different books that sort of had been like recommended to me, like other friends, other internationals had them. And were these any useful? 
Some of them were, some of them were not. Um, I read Undutchables, which is by mm. two British authors, and I really, really disliked it. I actually felt, like, really defensive about the Dutch. I thought it was, like, kind of mean, and, like, yeah. I thought the humor missed the mark a lot. It was one of the first uh, of those books, wasn't it? It's, it's quite old. It's been going along uh, yeah. you know, for a long time. I agree. I've only flicked through it, but, yeah, I got the same impression, yeah. actually. I wasn't it's, like, it's quite it. cruel, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um like if you want a funnier book, I think uh, Colleen Gretzka's book uh, "Stuff Dutch People Like" it's like, and then mm. various spin-offs. There's also yeah. like "Stuff Dutch People Eat," "Stuff yeah. Dutch Moms Like." This started out as a blog and stuff. Yeah, and, like, stuff, "Stuff Dutch People Like" is a very funny blog and website yeah. that covers all kinds of things like killer staircases and why they have those ridiculous um, um, killer what staircases. killer staircases. You know, the yeah. very very steep staircases oh. yeah. that, that that will kill you. Yeah. Uh, if, if if you if you try and negotiate yeah. them when you're like drunk. wearing white yeah. pants. There's a, there's a kind yeah. of a whole range of things from like yeah. food to like. Sort of fashion and cultural stuff mm. um that's like quite entertaining makes for a good like christmas present book for somebody that's moving here or, or has only been living here for a little while yeah. um yeah some of them are useful i think uh some of them were like really not useful like at all basically so i think it was just dependent kind of on the book yeah i think um if you're looking to go into a bit more depth um uh, i'd recommend uh, james kennedy has recently brought out a concise history of the yeah. netherlands which is very good he's, yeah. he's a professor of dutch history at yeah. utrecht university really knows his stuff yeah. and covers a lot of and covers a lot of as well as covering the golden age and all the rest of it he also covers periods you don't read so much about like the napoleonic era yeah. which is a really strange <laughs> phase of dutch history actually that's, yeah, that's the, the, the french just turned up and said, "Can we invade you?" And the Dutch said, "Yeah, okay." Yeah. And then fifty years later, we're gone. We're like, "Well, we're going to talk gonna about do that something again. else." Yeah, yeah that, that was a mistake. Um, yeah, there's like a there's quite a few, I mean, there's a lot of like a, a different like Dutch history books. I like um, there's a book called Logbook of the Low Countries, which is sort of does it like like a lot about the water kind of stuff, which is interesting. And also um, the Dutch and their Delta, which is really about like the water history, which is kind of interesting. Mm. So a lot of these books are just kind of like concise history of what the Dutch learn in elementary school about their own history which is nice to like sort of have some it's reference points many. for things yeah, yeah exactly there's also a book called the netherlands and 26 objects which is kind of cool because it's like a sort of a picture book and it has like different you know what like, kind of objects do yeah they, like a potato masher and uh, like a cosgraf and but then there's like other stuff i mean like a porcelain yeah a, the the like a delft blue plate and these kinds of things that sort of like tells the story of the history of the dutch through these different objects which is kind of like a different take on, mm-hmm. yeah. on things which is kind of nice so yeah so gordon did you find uh reading books about the Netherlands to be useful before you moved here did you read stuff before you moved I, here I didn't I, I'd say I didn't read a huge uh, amount again I was uh, I was doing you, a Dutch you language you thought how bad can it be right yeah exactly <laughs> it can't be that bad really no I mean and I you moved um, here and found out how bad it could be yeah although I'd, I'd been yeah I'd been coming and going for 20 years before I moved here but um, I'd, I've been doing a language course and uh, I read the odd um, um, book about the Netherlands but uh, uh, I think uh, by and large I sort of did it by observation I think um, uh, but yeah it's, um, Kate Muck does a good history of Amsterdam Mm-hmm. as well I think that's worth reading if you're in Amsterdam or interested yeah. in Amsterdam be- Russell, a lot better than Russell Shorto's Amsterdam book is also really good there's a lot of books specifically about Amsterdam um, we'll break out in the liner notes like I, we have like a lot we have like a long list of, uh, of books and stuff yeah. and there's also this uh, recent phenomenon which um, I was aware of but wasn't hadn't really realized how far I'd have gone until I went to the Marriott's house recently where lots of people seem to have just taken a Dutch painting and then written a novel about it yes this is a real thing yeah, that's a a thing. blown up in the is last few years is this a Dutch years. thing or I think it started 
was the, the whoever wrote the, the Tracy, girl Tracy the, Chevalier wrote the pearl, girl the pearl yeah, earring, yeah. and that's what kicked it off. Yeah, I think. But yeah, Nina tons Seagal, of who's a writer, yeah. an American writer in Amsterdam, has yeah. written something about the. Is it about the night? Uh, no, no, no. The anatomy, the Rembrandt's oh. anatomy. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Donna Tartt wrote the Goldfinch. But lots of them are not very good on their yeah, Dutch history. Would, these books. I would agree um, with that. But Donna Tartt is is apparently good. I've not read it personally. Yeah. Did anyone write anything about the angry swan? No, but somebody should. Maybe that's what. And someone should write about the about the cow as well. Yeah, the cow in the market house. Yeah, that's one of those funny paintings that uh, all Dutch people will list it in their top ten favorite paintings, yeah. but, but most foreigners have never heard of it. Yeah, no, yeah, but it's an amazing picture. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's really amazing because you you walk into this room and the first thing you see is this life-sized cow, cow. and it's literally a full portrait of a cow yeah. and there's literally with nothing. a farmer behind him but the farmer yeah. is very, yeah. very much a bit player yeah, I, I, I never noticed him yeah. Yeah. there's a straw hat on yeah. Yeah. but this isn't about our favourite Dutch books oh that's true no. it's about our favourite Dutch books yeah a lot of the English language bookstores have like a pretty good selection and even like the, the bookstores in the train station will usually have like Ben Coates' book is always there and the stuff Dutch people and like Ben's it's... got a new book coming out yeah Ben has in, a new uh, book coming September. out yeah, yeah it's about the Rhine right I've also got a book coming out I'll just mention that oh that's true that's about the Netherlands also it's partly about the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we were, we were trying at least with this to stick to books that are sort of about the Netherlands because I think we have like one more. We did a, a previous segment on books that were uh, tra- English language translations that were available of Dutch books. So that was like our first book. Thing. Yeah, and, and, and our general message was do not read Don't any read of these them. books. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, but we have a different message for this section, which is like some of these books are useful. And then I still want to do something on books that are just like set somewhere in the Netherlands because I think there's a lot of good like murder mystery thrillers mm. that maybe we can... Uh, in the Netherlands? Yeah, there's like a whole bunch of these like kind of But books. these aren't Dutch books then? No, or... they're not necessarily ah. Dutch books. Sometimes they're like written by Dutch. Oh, actually, we could do a whole other book segment on books written by people living in the Netherlands, but who aren't Dutch, because there's also a whole good list mm. of that, yeah. um, including Gordon and I. <laughs> so we could, we, could some, we could do some promo. Yeah. 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 Um, we can do a murder mystery, uh, and it's located in this podcast. Can we, can yes. we, does that mean we just murder you, Paul? Is that what we're going for? Uh, well, it's not uh, much of a mystery then, really, yeah. is it? Given no, the mystery would be is who finally broke and killed him. <laughs> yeah. Was it me or was it Gordon? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, exactly. well, why do we find his burnt body in a brothel? <laughs> <laughs> Next to some harem legs. <laughs> Um, so are there any books you like you don't recommend or that you thought like steered people incorrectly? Um, yeah, we, we mentioned the Undutchables, um, and I think um, I don't know. I don't no? really have. A, no, have you got any suggestions in that um, uh, regard? There's a couple. I read this book recently that I re- I reviewed for uh, uh, Dutch News called "The Unsolved Mysteries of Amsterdam," and it was mm. really terrible. And the translation was also really terrible. Mm. Um, so I would not recommend. Did you read it in Dutch? No, I read it in English. From what language was it translated? Tra- Dutch. It was oh. translated from Dutch mm. into English. Um, and there was something else that I really disliked the, uh, oh, the little kingdom by the sea, the, the KLM house book that they did a few years ago. It's like this little tiny book about all the, Mm -hmm. you know, the KLM business class, they hand out these houses and whatever. Um, and the concept of that was in there. Yeah. And that that makes it worthwhile. Maybe that's why the translation is so bad. (laughs) Yeah. They translated it drunk. They translated it drunk. So I think that, that, yeah, I thought the translation was really bad with that. Um, but the expat media does who's, who's the publishing company that does publishes a lot of these like books about the Netherlands. They do this book called the Holland handbook, which is like this huge monstrosity of a book. That's kind of like that. A lot of, um, international companies hand out to their new employees, which is like a lot of practical information, like how to register yourself and like, Mm. what is, 
Dutch elementary school like and like that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, when I first got here, we got a copy of this. I found it to be really, really useful. Um, mm. So it's a good, but it is a big, like huge chunk. It's very book. dense and very thorough. It's very it? dense yeah. and very yeah. thorough. Um, but definitely I found it to be like extremely useful for a lot of practical information. But now they have like a tinier version called the Little Orange Handbook. I should know what the title is because I edited the book, but now I can't <laughs> um, We'll link to it in the liner notes. But it's like a smaller, more condensed version of this, which I also thought was like kind of a, be- a more useful, like if you don't want to shell out the 50 euros for the big version, like you can get the smaller version and it's also nice. And the same publisher actually just put out a book called Learning to Cycle in Amsterdam, which Ooh. I got a copy of to review and has really beautiful photos in it, which is kind of nice, but it's also like a lot Does of... Does it re- learn you to it cycle in Amsterdam? It teaches you how to cycle in Amsterdam. Mm. And so I hung on to it because I'm going to now give it to all of my guests guests who like show up because it has like it, it, it like as someone who like has been biking in the Netherlands for a while like I still have no idea what most of the traffic signs mean yeah. so it explains a lot of the traffic signs but also like biking culture and like yeah. that kind of stuff and um, it's also important to know which traffic signs you actually have to right. observe yeah. which like, she like, does like, get into yeah. like how you which ones you have to pay attention to and which ones yeah. all like I, red lights don't bother yeah don't yeah. bother yeah. Um, although it is specifically about <laughs> Amsterdam so it's not sort of useful maybe for the rest of the country um, so we will link to uh, everything else all of the books that we've talked about uh, Dutch News does a lot of book reviews i do a lot of book reviews for dutch news um and so we'll link to all that kinds of stuff um in the in the liner notes all of these different books also i divided out a subsection of like picture books that we didn't get into which mm. are like big like coffee table kind of photography books of which there are like several good ones which is like a great present to send to like your parents or your like siblings or something as a christmas present i think um but we're i'm interested in hearing if other people have like thoughts about like what their favorite books are so if you if you're listening to the podcast and you have like a favorite book or if you have a book that you really didn't like drop us an email or you can comment on the uh, on post facebook. about this on facebook yeah. and you know if you want uh, dutch news to review something drop us a line for the same mm. thing because then we will get around to reading it for you and tell you whether or not you should waste your time reading it <laughs> <laughs> That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week. Take naked photos of yourself. Jesus Christ. Yeah.